Hey y'all, it's Sarah. And this week we are chatting about three of my favorite investments out there right now for all of you to discuss, not necessarily invest in, because as usual, everything that I talk about with Megan may not be the best decision for you. But this week we're talking about Twitter, T-W-T-R, ARK, A-R-K-K, and Coinbase, C-O-I-N. Three things that are really hot right now that I think pretty much everyone has heard about. So I'm ready. Are you guys? Let's go. Welcome to Girls Just Want to Have Fun, the weekly podcast that deconstructs the intimidating world of finance. Hosted by Syra Rahman, VP of Finance at HM Bradley, and her partner in crime, Megan McShane, a manager at a Fortune 100 company, and supported by StockTwits. Girls Just Want to Have Funds will take on the important questions in personal finance that so many of us avoid, but also take on a glass of wine or two. Learn more, subscribe to the show, and join Syra and Megan on their no-shame adventure to financial freedom at girlsjustwanna.com. Hi, Syra. Good morning. Good morning. Normally on a Sunday morning when I was in Seattle, we would get our butts up and instead of doing brunches, we would go to yoga. Do you remember those days? I remember them fondly. But yoga was at noon, so I got to sleep in. 9 a.m. for recording. It's like I'm really growing up. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the look you'd give me too. Like I'd always try to pressure you into going earlier and you'd be like, no. <laughs> no, never going to happen. <laughs> but noon was also 75 minutes. It was glorious. Yeah. It was like true. so hot. Yeah. And now, you know, like I miss it. I know you miss it, but yeah, it's sure. the Petri dish of workout classes. Yeah. Can you imagine being in a room right now with like 50 people, mat to mat, just sweating on each other? I can't feasibly comprehend doing that. Not in the least. Yeah. That's a bummer. Not in the least. I miss yoga so, so much. Me too. So, yeah. I mean, at some point we'll go back. We shall join forces again and I shall drag you. Yeah. All you need is yoga. Megan's holding the cup up to anyone that can't <laughs> see. She, she's still kind of quiet this early in the morning. So we'll see how this episode goes. That being said, I, I feel like I say this almost every time we talk about investments, but I just would like to state that this time I was able to help you select some things I wanted to talk about, mostly because I think there's some educational opportunities within the specific investments that I selected. And I have to admit, I don't think I've been this excited for an episode, Megan. I, you're making this face. Like, why are you making this face? <laughs> you do say this every time, but that's that's a good thing. <laughs> like, you know, that's doing what you love, which oh. everyone strives for. Just right? being talkative, being talkative, Syrah. Well, I mean, the fun thing about when we talk about investments is that you absolutely do not hold back and you ask all of the questions. So for one thing, I am hoping that I'm even remotely planned, like I've planned well enough to figure out what all of these questions might be. But I am, yeah, I guess I'm ready. Should we take a quick break so that we can just jump in? Yeah, let's heat up our coffee and let's take a break. Girl, you know I can't drink right now. I'm fasting. All right. You can watch me. <laughs> Love you. All right. Let's, <laughs> let's take a quick break. All right, Nina. Are you ready to jump and start in on these three different investments that I've selected? 
Yes, my coffee is warm. I have a pink fur coat on. I'm ready to go. You are pink and fuzzy and I love it. So before we dive into the three investments, the one thing that I want to mention is there is kind of this overarching theme that I selected and it's that there is a little bit of cryptocurrency, which is a hot topic right now involved in each of these these three investments and not only cryptocurrency, I should say, but also NFTs, which is a buzzword right now and kind of layered within that, the overall idea of blockchain. And I think we should have a separate episode that talks about exactly what all of that is and what all of those words mean. But that's something, something for perhaps another episode because I'm just so, so ready to talk about these three. So I see the look on your face. Well, I'm curious. Yeah. I'm super ready. I'm curious which one you want to start with first. Okay. I think we should start with Coinbase. Ooh. Okay. So Coinbase had what's called a direct listing, not an IPO. And they filed their S1 a few months ago. And there is a difference between an IPO and a direct listing, which is something I do want to clarify here. So when you do a direct listing, you actually end up saving a bunch of money. So people can choose whether or not they want to do a direct listing or if they want to go through IPO. And an IPO involves a roadshow and getting a bunch of people interested in purchasing pre-IPO stock and a whole slew of additional legwork. Whereas a direct listing lets you basically put your stock onto an exchange. So in the case of Coinbase, they directly listed onto the NASDAQ, at which point at the direct listing, people that are large shareholders then have to release their stock in order for other people to be able to purchase their stock. So since it's not an IPO, so it's not an initial public offering where they have a bunch of stock available for people to buy, they actually have to release what's in their own balance sheet in order for other people to be able to purchase their stock. So it's kind of the biggest difference between a direct listing and an IPO. Is there... And you can say no. Is there any other stocks that are out on the NASDAQ right now that started as a direct listing that you can think yeah, of? Yeah. I mean, there are there are tons. It's actually, it's just I've a really common way. Yeah. yeah it's Well, because it. a lot of people conflate a direct listing with an IPO. So, and that was a really common trend that I saw. Even in journalist papers, they were calling it an IPO. And that is definitely not what it was. It was actually a direct listing. And there's just... There is a big difference between the two. So that was the first thing I wanted to point out. So now I'm going to ask you some questions about this. But so for a direct listing, you still have to put out an S1. So you still have to go through kind of all the legwork. And you said it saves people money. Does it save the company money to do it or the people that are purchasing? Like what, why would you do it this way? Yeah. So a few things. So it saves the company money because there's a lot of, you have to basically find people that are interested in just before the IPO actually occurs and purchasing some of the stock. So there's a pre-IPO stock purchase price so that there's underwriting there. So I mentioned a roadshow. Essentially, investment banks will go around and pitch your stock to a bunch of hedge funds and types of allocators that will then say, okay, I want, you know, 20,000 shares or whatever dollar amount they decide on. So that's the first piece of it. So you save money in that regard. The second piece of it is that the NASDAQ will actually determine what your listing price will be. So that's not something that Coinbase got to determine. That was something that the NASDAQ decided on. Oh, so you kind of give up a little bit of a piece 
of what you might have if you were to IPO. You do. You, and if you're, you if you're sitting on the board and you've got a bunch of shares, you actually have to release them. So if, you know, I believe the CFO and a few other people that own a lot of shares in Coinbase had to then give up their shares in order for other people to be able to trade them on day one. Got it. Mm-hmm. So what are some other fun facts about Coinbase? For people that don't know, how would you describe them as a company? So Coinbase is cool because it's a twofold entity. And this is something that I learned while I was researching Coinbase and going through their S1 and going through their website. So I've been a member of Coinbase since 2000, I want to say 2014 or 2015, which is when I first started doing Bitcoin things for fun on the side. And they were kind of the first place that started to normalize and make it easy for you to buy and share and exchange cryptocurrency. That's what they're famous for, in my opinion. They also do stablecoin, and then they have a pro version now on their platform. So they have kind of an upgraded trading platform for people that are more experienced in cryptocurrency. And then on the business side, and this is where I personally think it gets kind of cool for Coinbase, They have institutional trading. So, you know, let's say I'm ABC company like Tesla, for example, that recently did this in January and I want $5 million in Bitcoin for my balance sheet. They will help you make that large purchase. And then they'll also be your custodian in the scenario that you potentially want to lend or get some loans on your cryptocurrency. So there's a bunch of different things that they do on the back end in an arena that I'll call treasury management for cryptocurrency. You know what's kind of ironic? I think ironic is the right word, but you correct me. This company, Coinbase, helps you trade cryptocurrency mm-hmm. that obviously isn't the U.S. dollar, right? but they're on the NASDAQ. So it just seems <laughs> like... A little backwards. It's kind of crazy. It it is kind of crazy. And that's something that a lot of people have criticized Coinbase for. They're like, oh, you want to decentralize Mm -hmm. currency, but here you are listing yourself on a U.S. exchange. So absolutely. And lo and behold, this Brian Armstrong character, who is one of the founders, might be, I mean, I saw an article that I was reading and they were like, watch out, Jeff Bezos. (laughs) (laughs) If you, can we talk about music? Hold on. But yeah. what's interesting about both Brian and Jeff is that they're both like bald. <laughs> I was like, like oh. very stereotypical. Exactly. When I looked at, you know, I'm like scrolling through Google like news and I'm like, huh. <laughs> oh, okay. Maybe they're competing for who's more bald, like who has a closer shave sort or of Maybe I need to shave my head. Maybe it's a thing though. Maybe. We should just in solidarity. No, I can't. My head is way too big. I can't do it. <laughs> I've got a mass. I've got like a five head. I don't have a forehead. So I don't think I'll be doing that either. Um, did you, so tell me, tell me more about some of your research. What did you find in terms of details about the Coinbase in terms of competitors? Like, tell me more about what you saw and how you felt about what you were reading. Yeah. So obviously I'm new to cryptocurrency and then Obviously, the trading platforms are kind of alien to me. So I started with, I actually went to nerdwallet.com and I typed in, you know, Coinbase. And I was like, what are some of the top articles in here? And there was one that kind of listed the pros and cons of Coinbase before they did a direct listing, not an IPO. So some of the pros were they could offer access to more than 30 cryptocurrencies. So in my mind, it was more of an aggregator of sorts. 
to the cryptocurrencies might you might have like Bitcoin or Ether or whatever. You know, I'm just listing the two that I know. <laughs> they have a low minimum to fund the account. So I equate that to things like when we were talking about banking and setting up a new bank account, you know, you could have $100 and open an account. So I don't know what the minimum to fund an account for cryptocurrency is, but apparently theirs is low. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the third thing, which I thought was really compelling because of got a radio lab episode I listened to about crypto was someone was getting hacked and they filmed the whole thing or recorded the whole thing. So one of the pros of Coinbase is your crypto is insured in the event of hacking. Which Ooh, I didn't I know, know that. Interesting. Which is top priority for people these days. Taylor and I were sitting at Nordstrom Bar. Yes, we went a couple of weeks ago. No, I didn't buy anything. But we were sitting there and he had messaged his friend and it went through his email somehow. And he was like, oh, I think my phone is hacked. And I was like, what? And he has a bunch of Bitcoin. And so we turned off his phone. I called his friend. I was like, hey, delete all the text, blah, blah, blah. And luckily, Taylor had Coinbase Pro and there was a hacking attempt on his account. Like they hacked into his phone. We're trying to get into his coin wallet. Mm. But luckily, he had Coinbase Pro and they you know, got rid of the hacking. So interesting. Real things. Okay. So con, the only con I could find, they have higher fees than other cryptocurrency exchanges. Okay. Interesting. I imagine, and you correct me, I imagine that means if I trade it, they're going to charge me more. If I, can you do like wire transfers? I don't even know. Like with crypto. So, We should definitely do an episode on cryptocurrency. No, you cannot wire transfer cryptocurrency. They have special wallets that are basically unique identifiers and you can transfer your Ethereum wallet from platform A to platform B and it'll be two separate wallets, but they'll both only hold Ethereum. Same thing with Bitcoin. So it's not quite like a wire transfer, but it is instantaneous when done on the right platform. Some platforms don't do that. It's interesting that you brought up the fees. That was actually something that I've been researching. So for what it's worth, for a multitude of reasons, I have been taking a little over a week to take some deep dives into every single crypto trading platform. And what I'm learning and something that I discovered not only about Coinbase, but Coinbase certainly gets criticized for it, is that fees are not very transparent when it comes to cryptocurrency. So there are transactional fees. And when I tried to understand the transactional fees on Coinbase, it was nearly impossible to find something that was a simple schedule. So I want to go back to, if you remember where I talked to you about the fine print of your bank account. And if you can't figure out the fine print or if you don't know exactly what those fees are, they're probably pretty bad. Yeah. So that was something that I noticed about Coinbase. And that's not to say that they're the sole entity that does that. I certainly do think that they get criticized probably more than they should for that. Were you going to say something? Yeah, no, I just think it's a, it's an interesting moment in history. Also, it's almost like they're starting a new kind of bank of sorts. And so they're like, yeah, we have a bunch of fees. And it's, I'm curious, like, who's going to come in, such as like the neobanks came in to say, you know, F the big banks, like, let's, let's have low fees or, you know, you don't need to pay all of these things. So it's kind of an interesting historical moment for crypto, not knowing anything about it personally. But yeah, sorry, just a little tidbit. We might have to delete that, but all good. No, 
I think that's interesting too. There were a few things that I found in the S1, which I don't know how interested you were in their S1. There was a little bit of marketing towards the beginning. There was a letter from Brian and then there was a bunch of other details that I found fascinating as I was going through everything. Something that I actually really loved is that they have an educational segment at Coinbase. So they will teach you about the cryptocurrency and then give you some for free if you learn about the crypto. So a really interesting user engagement aspect that I do like about what they're doing, but also it's it's a little it's a little gamey, right? It's a little gamified. And then what I learned as I was going through the rest of the S1 is that they had a few things that I thought were worth mentioning. The first is that Coinbase calls themselves highly regulated, not something that I would expect to read because cryptocurrency in general is not considered to be highly regulated. So I was curious where that threshold is. I, I did also notice that they have something called rehypothecation and it's something we should talk about deeper when we do a blockchain episode, but basically it's where, first of all, so you were talking about how Taylor had his cryptocurrency insured. That's because he technically doesn't have control over his wallet at Coinbase. So what I was reading is that the borrower doesn't have control over the wallet. Coinbase does, which is how some of that insurance stuff occurs. This is also an issue on a multitude of platforms. But from my perspective, if you're doing a decentralized currency, the ownership should certainly be at the person's level and not at the entity level. So by Coinbase having the ownership of your Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever the case may be, they can then take that Bitcoin and they'll put it somewhere. And in order for them to get U.S. dollars, they'll actually give it to, let's say, another bank. And then that bank will lever them. So they'll give them a loan. So they have U.S. dollars. So your Bitcoin's actually in somebody else's hands. Isn't that how traditional banks work? Also, like just banking with money. The difference being that is that it's USD to USD. Here you're talking about Bitcoin being placed somewhere else in somebody else's possession in exchange for US dollars. So it's not the same thing. Oh. So you could, you could, for all intents and purposes, if there was a run down on Bitcoin and Bitcoin dropped down to like $5,000 and Coinbase had a margin call on their cryptocurrency, you could technically lose. It's an interesting concept, and it just reminds me a lot wow. of the last recession. So it's something that's been sitting in my brain. Very interesting. I love yeah. that fact. Yeah. So th- there was one other thing that I thought was really interesting. And it's, have you heard of a restructuring? No, tell me more. So in their financials, they talk about all these interesting different details about themselves, how much they exploded in 2020, which is very cool and impressive, frankly, how well they've done in terms of what happened in 2020. But then you look at their 2019 and they had a restructuring and restructuring at a company means a bunch of different things. It can mean that they're reorganizing or that management is taking a, they're shifting around some of the people within management. So the ownership's changing, or it could mean that they're financially struggling. Oh. So in 2019, they had a restructure where they fired, I believe, set, I don't remember the percentage actually, so I don't want to, I don't want to misquote myself, but they fired some people and they closed down their Chicago office, one of their Chicago offices. So they actually were having some financial trouble in 2019. But they've seemingly recovered. So maybe it was a good thing. 
And that's the thing. It could have been potentially that they recovered. I think 2020 is an anomaly year. So it's tough for me to to say exactly what the future holds. But I definitely think that's something worth noting. So to me, that means that perhaps a lot of their revenue is coming from one, maybe two income streams for the most part. And it's something that I would be cautious of because I think there might be a little bit of concentration risk there. That being said, I do not hold Coinbase. I was too hesitant after I read the S1 to dive in on day one. And yeah, it's something I'm definitely watching because I'm very curious about and I do support the industry. So, And how much would it cost someone if they were interested on taking a gamble on Coinbase's stock? Oh, man, I think it closed on Friday just under $300. And I I mean, I think at one point it was like, I don't want to misquote myself, but I think it was over $450. So it's taken wow. quite the quite the dive. Wow. Yeah. Coinbase. Food for thought. Okay. Love it. All right. Who's up next? Okay. And so this is how I've indirectly owned Coinbase. So I said that I didn't own Coinbase, but technically I've indirectly owned it. And it's through this really cool ETF. And it's called a thematic ETF, which we'll dive into in a second. And it's from a really interesting CIO. And her name is Kathy Wood. And the ETF is ARK, also known as A-R-K-K. Does that stand for anything? Her company name is called ARK Investment, I believe, ARK Invest. And she named it after Ark of the Covenant, which came from a book called The One-Year Bible, which I don't know if everyone knows this, but Kathy Wood's actually extremely religious and is an avid churchgoer. But she's also considered to be an icon for, you know, Tesla lovers and people that love the crypto world because she was one of the first people to really take big swings into Bitcoin land. Ark of the Covenant. I wonder if it's like Noah, Noah's Ark. Okay, so ETF. What is it? We talked about it kind of before. Yeah. We, need, we totally need to talk about it more. But yeah. What's the acronym? What does it stand for? ETF stands for Exchange Traded Fund. And I know that from the, the context that we were discussing it in, it was, you know, what's the difference between an ETF and a mutual fund? And, you know, they look and act the same in a lot of ways. I think what's cool about an ETF is that it's a little bit more actively managed. So the person that's managing the ETF, in this case, Kathy Wood, she can go in and out of the stocks that are underlying in that ETF during the day. Mutual funds are closed out at the end of the day. That's really one of the bigger differences in terms of transacting. ETFs generally also have fewer capital gains taxes, which is you know a buzzword right now because everybody's been talking about it. But they generally have lower capital gains taxes and they're only taxed when you sell as the investor. Okay. So I imagine this company is not public and they're more of a like investment firm. So I would go to them and say, hey, I want to set up an ETF and I could either choose the stocks that they put inside of that ETF or do they choose it for me? So both ETFs and mutual funds are pre-selected. So mutual funds can be a multitude of different things. They have targets. So they're like large cap, small cap, all these weird 
different terms that we can go through sometime and they will have like their biggest percentage will be 1% and then everything else underneath it'll be, you know, less than a quarter of a percent and they can go across different industries and sectors. An ETF generally follows a specific index or industry or asset type. So you can select ETFs anywhere and you can purchase them on any trade platform. So you're not going to you're not going to Kathy's company Ark Invest and saying I want an ETF. You can actually log in to whatever platform you trade on and you can purchase ARKK or ARKF, which is her fintech innovation. I mean there's a lot of really cool ones and she actually has very interesting prospectuses that you can read about each one as well. What's interesting about Kathy is that she was the first one that said, I actually really think Bitcoin is rad. And the first Bitcoin public security that's known as Grayscale Bitcoin Trust was one of the first large holdings in her portfolios. So within her ETFs, and it's still one of the largest holdings in one of her other funds. So not ARKK, but one of the other funds that she holds. So she has been, she's been a lot of, she's made a lot of friends and a lot of enemies over the course of the last decade. Hmm. So one thing that you did say that I haven't heard of is thematic ETF. Mm -hmm. And it seems pretty cool. Tell me a little bit about that. What is it? So rather than following an industry or a sector, someone can say this is based off of a theme. So ARKK follows what she calls innovation. So if you take a look at her holdings, which by the way, every single ETF is required to list their holdings on a daily basis. So you can see exactly what is inside of each one. And her ARKK currently has top holding over 10% in Tesla. The number two holding is Teladoc. Number three is Square. Number four is Roku. Number five is Zillow. I mean, it's it's a really interesting conglomeration that comes from a whole bunch of different sectors, but they're all names you've heard of and that people have probably been talking about because they're, a lot of them have been on fire recently. So a potential answer to my question of, you know, when we talked about Tesla and you took that long gulp of wine, <laughs> a way that I could potentially own it is having an ETF with ARC. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And you get like these tiny little slices. And for what it's worth, if you look on ARKK, you can see that her 17th largest holding in ARKK is Coinbase, which she has slowly but surely been stacking Coinbase every single day since the IPO. So indirectly, I've been holding Coinbase via ARKK. So I'm going to ask you some basic questions Mm -hmm. about, so I'm Kathy Wood. Okay. I own this company, Baller. I'm amazing. Yep. So my firm goes out as a hedge fund or is it, are they a hedge fund or an investment firm? An investment and asset management firm. Yep. Got it. So I go out and my company buys up a lot of this stock. So they go and buy up Coinbase, they buy up Tesla, and then they put it into these ETFs for people to come in and give me their money. And then I control it on an individual level. Maybe. So that you come in and you say that again. So you're buying some of these ETFs. Yeah. So I come in and I say, Hey, Kathy, I want to, you know, put money into an ETF with your firm. But you're not talking to Kathy. You're just buying it on an open trade. So she opens it up to everyone. Am I making sense? No, you are. But I'm just like trying to like laymanize it. Let's pretend Kathy and I are friends. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. So you, you get access to how she's allocating this stuff simply by grabbing her ETFs. 
Okay, got it. And is there like a threshold? Like I need to put down $100,000 or could I put down 100 bucks? Okay, it can be anything. Well, you have to purchase one ETF at a time. So you, okay. you could potentially, I don't, you would have to find platforms that would let you buy clips of ETFs. But I mean, her ETFs are not expensive by any stretch. I mean, some of them are less than $100. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. Can you buy cryptocurrency through her investment firm? She owns Bitcoin. She has Bitcoin in, well, indirectly through several of her ETFs. So she has seven different ETFs and all of them are allocated differently and all of them have different types of cryptocurrency entities within them. Got it. Okay. So now I'm getting the thematic of what you're talking about today because we started with Coinbase. They just hit the NASDAQ. Very cool. Everyone's been talking about them. We have another white bald guy that's going to, you know, be in charge of the world. (laughs) Cool. But now Kathy is another way that you could actually own some of that without taking on all of the risk because you saying like, oh, Coinbase went out and it was $400, what, like two weeks ago. And now it's less than 300. Like people have lost a lot of money already. So let's hedge our bets and be a little bit more secure and maybe purchase an ETF. With yeah. our friend Kathy. Okay. And you know what? What's interesting to me is that a lot of people think ETFs are not sexy, but I think Kathy's ETFs are actually really, really cool. So it's worth taking a look at because she she is continuously coming out with different thoughts on how she feels about everything. The woman has a YouTube channel, by the way, and she's extremely well spoken and eloquent. I will say that she's made huge mistakes as well in her history. So she was deeply criticized during the Great Recession. It's interesting. She had worse returns than the market in 2008 and 2009, which was honestly, that's actually a feat. So she's been on both sides. She swung massively higher than everyone else. She was considered, not considered, she was given the award of best stock picker in 2020 by Bloomberg. So, I mean, the woman's got some serious, serious chops. And also let's take a moment and realize that it's a woman in finance that's a heavy hitter. Like, hell yeah, girl. Yeah. You know, also the higher the risk, the higher the reward or the higher the failure. So Absolutely. it sounds like she's on the cutting edge of a lot of cool stuff. This is actually something I'm going to look into for real. I love hearing that one and two for what it's worth. Only 25% of all CIOs, so chief investment officers, such as Kathy, only 25% are women. Wow. So it's, a yeah, isn't that insane? So yeah. Seeing one like her that just knows how to not only connect to her audience, but that also can speak to why she's doing what she's doing. She's received an insane amount of criticism. And frankly, a lot of what I personally view that as, it has to do with the fact that she's just accelerated her career so drastically. And I I don't know. Sometimes I question whether or not it's because she's a woman, because I, I just find some of it so offensive. But Potentially, but she's putting her money where her mouth is. Yeah. Like- that's the you best said part. She's pretty public that that she's a religious person and kind of puts that out there, named her company after that. You know, whether you believe it or not, she's got some gumption to be able to just say, this is who I am, like F it. Yeah, exactly. That's, and that was one of the reasons that I really wanted to highlight her. I think that it's a rad, rad company and people should be taking a look at what she's doing because it's worth, it's worth examining. Super risky, potentially super risky ETFs, but also the most profitable of 2020. So... Which leads me, my dear, mm-hmm. to the third and final. And for what it's worth, this is the first one that I 
directly or indirectly. Well, maybe I do actually through Kathy's ETFs, but I have never really contemplated purchasing, although it's my biggest social media platform. It's also it's also one that I probably should be invested in solely because of my addiction to it. And I can't believe that I'm not. So <laughs> you're laughing because you know what it is. It's Twitter. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm shocked. You were the biggest evangelist for me to get on Twitter this past November. And it has become pretty much up there with TikTok, my favorite social media platform. Yeah, it's a and good that- one. It's a great platform. It's... I. <sighs> Honestly, I don't know what's wrong with me. I I keep seeing their 10Ks and I get a little baffled. And so 10Ks, by the way, are their reports where they delineate their financials. And inside of their 10K, I don't know. It's an extremely large company. They have a lot of debt that they're claiming they're going to have paid off much of it by later this year, if not all of it. And yeah, well, here we are to try to convince you to potentially purchase them. I actually did some background on them just because this is a company I know. And I was like, hey, let me see what I can pull out here. And I'll tell Sarah and see how much she probably already knows. So fascinating to me was that Twitter was actually a side project out of a bigger company that was a podcasting platform called Odeo. I didn't know that actually which was a free application. It came out before the Apple podcast app. So you could actually log in, listen to podcasts, create podcasts, publish podcasts. So they kind of came out pretty early on. But Apple came out with their platform and they were like, shit, we got like, <laughs> <laughs> to figure out something else. And so they had the side project, Twitter, not spelled the same. They didn't have the E or the I inside of Twitter is a micro blogging service. That's what it was. So it was a way to message back and forth to other people that were podcasting. It was an internal platform first. And then it obviously spun off into the world that it is now. I thought that was super cool just to, you know, we're on a podcast. It's kind of interesting. It makes sense to me that they started as another medium of communication because now it's obviously heavily text. Yeah. And what's what I love about Twitter that I do know is that they started with 120 characters because of SMS limitations mm. and they increased it to 240, which I don't know if that's good or bad. Cause some of us like myself are extremely talkative, but there is something to be said about their original formatting. And I do sometimes miss it. Okay. Another fun fact that ties into the thematic of this episode that I found yeah. Jack Dorsey, who is the CEO uh-huh. of Twitter and original co-founder His first tweet, just setting up my Twitter, was purchased using Ether, which is a cryptocurrency. It's Bitcoin's rival for $2.9 million. I don't know if you can say dollars because it's Ether. So is it 2.9 million Ether? Who knows? It was 2.9 million USD that was denominated in Ethereum. You're right. Got it. Got it. Got Mm -hmm. it. So interesting. And it was set up as a NFT. Yes, which NFTs is another whole nother episode we need to dive into at some point, which is NFTs or something something completely separate, but also part of the blockchain. So we're just going to keep saying blockchain over and over again today. Blockchain. What is super interesting about that to me as a writer is one that 
okay, setting up, just setting up my Twitter, whatever, like not that exciting. But what was exciting about it is what Twitter has evolved into. So it really was the first piece or the first artwork of Twitter, so to speak. And so someone valuing it that high is kind of an interesting thing. I don't know, but tell me a little bit more. And I know we're not going to get into it entirely. So NFT, like non-fungible, what is it? Non-fungible. Non-fungible token. token. And a non- yeah, non-fungible token. And basically it creates a unique identifier. So it stamps that product as a unique identifier. And then your ownership is declared on the blockchain it, it's extremely complicated and it's i'm still personally fully wrapping my mind around it because you could technically have an nft on one blockchain you could create an nft on another blockchain i think that it'll end up being something for a lot of like music and artistry and i've heard episodes of other podcasts where they explain how it can be used everywhere but i'm still kind of figuring out like you know nfts are kind of the QR code for identifiers. That's a perfect way to explain it. Yeah. The QR code. Cause to me it was like, it makes it tangible, but it's still digital, but it makes it tangible in some way. Okay. Exactly. Got it. Like yeah. a trading card of sorts. Okay. Yeah. And the other thing that I love for what it's worth about Twitter and really about Twitter's management. So Jack Dorsey is that Jack is not only the CEO of Twitter, right? So and this is going back to things that Kathy Wood invests in. Jack is also the CEO of Square, which is one of her top holdings, right? Which is a payments company. Jack also owns Cash App, right? Which is the competitor mm. to Venmo and in a very quick and easy place to purchase cryptocurrency if you want to. Although, again, with the high fees, that was something else that I discovered when I was looking at it. But Jack is part of a conglomeration of a whole bunch of different other entities all of which I'm invested in. So Twitter's kind of like that outlier in the corner that I still haven't pulled the trigger on, which even though for what it's worth, it's the one I use the most. So kind of a hypocrite in that arena. So I'm trying to think what other things I want to, I want to talk about. I mean, the 10 K, which it's their annual report has so much content inside of it, but they also, they also delineate some of the cooler things that Twitter owns. So Twitter's main and potentially only form of revenue is through advertisers, which I guess I've slowly watched the progression or perhaps it's just snuck up on me, but they do those promoted tweets and promoted people and promoted topics. And I didn't, it didn't even cross my mind on some of the things that they were advertising to me because I've 100% clicked on some of them. Although the promoted tweets from people those are pretty blatant and I kind of look down on those people. So sorry to any of my friends that have promoted <laughs> tweets before. <laughs> I personally don't understand it. It's kind of like, you know, if people want to listen to you, they will. If they want to yeah. talk to you via Twitter, yeah. they will. So I'll tell you more about how I feel about Twitter because <laughs> the subjectivity to, to stocks or investing for me is high. So what I find fascinating about it is it's trying to be like a, a vehicle for freedom of speech, quite literally. Whether you take it positive, negative, whatever, I think it's an interesting platform for like the modern day journalist. So 
what's interesting is you can just write how you feel. You can have your opinion. You can share it out as often as you want and be that annoying person. But what I've found really great about the Twitter platform is you can start to find your own communities of people. So you can go out like for me, for example, I'm like, who does freelance writing and how does that work and how do I get involved there? You can start to find those pockets of people. It's hard to do and it takes a little bit of effort and time, but it's such an amazing platform. Now, that doesn't mean people haven't used it for evil. Okay, Trump a little bit, no longer on there, thank God. But well, and, oh, wait, but you just said freedom of speech, though. You don't think that that's an interesting <sighs> crosshair? I know. I struggled with that. I, I did. Because it is freedom of speech. So you should be able to, anyone should be able to go out there and say whatever it, they well, want. And this is the thing. Is it freedom of speech if you're pulling a disinformation campaign in the midst of, of a national election? These are all things that I've chewed on for long and hard as well, because I am a very strong advocate for, you know, your right to be able to say what you need to say. And, and I will always fight for that for anyone. But right. I had to chew on that one for a while. And there, yeah. There was a point in time where I was like, is this fair to him? And then I was like, he has one of the largest platforms in the world. And he is spreading lies that could potentially tear our country apart. And that was that was kind of where it ended for me. Mm -hmm. No, I'm right there with you. You know, I think it's noble that Jack made a stance on it, but I, I think he probably struggled with it, too. He's like, we didn't create it for it to be you know, locked down to only certain people or all of that jazz. But at the end of the day, it was more harm than good. Yeah, And I think maybe that's the ethical barometer. We have to just kind of like live our lives through social media and decide if, if it's good or evil. And for me, it's only been good, but I've only been on it for a couple months. So I guess time will tell. I, you know, I watched some people rot on there. I mean, it was not good during the election, and I think it's significantly improved mm. since then. I've also progressively learned, you know, how to use the mute button and how to block people because I have more than enough trolls. But it's curious like that because it does let any person on and it does let anybody say whatever they want to say. I do have some really cool data points to provide you with so that you can make further decisioning, by the way. So, Twitter, 192 million daily active users, which is a 27% increase year over year based on their December year end. So December 31st, 2021 or 2020. Oh my gosh. Their 2020 report. They have 330 million total active users. 55 million of those users are in the US. 63% of their users are between 35 and 65, which is why I found it interesting that inside of their annual report, they actually list TikTok and Instagram and Snapchat and all of the other platforms as their competitors because I really, and you and I have talked about Snapchat and at some point I'm sure we'll talk about Facebook and Instagram and what did I mention all of them? And TikTok. And TikTok. Yeah. So at some point we'll talk about everything again, but I don't really, based on that demographic, I don't really consider Twitter to be targeting the same people. So I almost wonder if they fully wrap their mind around exactly who the other platforms target. But I I thought that was curious. Interestingly, it's only 34% female across the globe and 66% male. It's a little bit closer to even it's, it's about 52% male in the U S. So depending on, depending on the region, it's a little bit closer to parity. The average person spends 3.39 minutes on Twitter per session which makes sense given they call it the 20 minute lifespan of each tweet. 
So you say you're addicted to it. How much do you think, like how many minutes on average is your per session? I'm curious. Oh, per session? Well, for what it's worth, I do not keep my phone on me during work hours specifically because I just don't want any distractions from the mass quantities of work that I have to do. So I probably, not probably, I give myself about 15 to 20 minutes in the morning to do whatever I need to do, which is usually setting up my tweets that I'll release throughout the day. And then after work, I give myself 15 or 20 minutes before it's cue time with Nick. And then Nick gives me 15 or 20 minutes right before bed. But I really am like, there was a point where it was getting bad when I was fun employed. So when I was not working and in between HM Bradley and the bank, and it was like Syrah and egg fertilizing needles and the TV, I chose my phone over the TV. And Nick was like, you got to give this up. See, that's that's kind of the evil about social media a little bit that I think, you know, the demographic you just laid out is probably addicted as well. But we put such a microscope over the younger generations because we think they're living their life through their phone. But we all are, too. One hundred percent. Oh, my gosh. I And to give you I mean, there are so many more interesting details here that I found 500 million tweets per day, which equates to five thousand seven hundred and eighty seven tweets per second. Oh, my God. Gosh. I don't, I mean the, and this is actually probably easy to understand, but the most popular emoji is the crying laughter face, which is also my favorite emoji. I like that one. And I like the one that's like, like the, oh, like, yeah. the, <laughs> the smirk, smirking. the smirk. Yeah. That's our face. That's definitely our face. I'm you like, and me. I say We're something to that. you and I'm like smirk. <laughs> <laughs> and okay. And this is one that I didn't entirely know because I don't actually follow all of these people. Most followed accounts, Katy Perry, Barack Obama, Taylor Swift, Lady Gaga, Ellen DeGeneres, YouTube, which is the only brand in the top 10, which also says something about how big YouTube is to me, and Justin Timberlake. Justin Timberlake. JT, my baby. My baby daddy. I do love him. I love him. I miss him so much. I wish he'd release another album. I know. Huh. Wow. That's a lot of good, fun facts. I love the idea, like what you said, you nailed it on the head of 35 to 65 years old. That's not the demographic for TikTok. That's not the demographic for Snapchat. Mm-mm. Probably Facebook. Probably. Yeah. I guess Facebook probably makes sense. I'm just so inactive on Facebook. Like I try I so know. hard to, to do like birthdays for my family on there, but that's really what it's boiled down to. Mm. So I will say, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a really interesting product. I also taking a look at their financials for what it's worth. They actually had a loss last year, despite the fact that they've been growing in positive numbers in previous years. And I think a big piece of that was because a lot of their advertisers pulled out in the first half of 2020 during the pandemic. And it's something that brings me pause again, because they're so highly concentrated in these one or two avenues of income streams. And I don't know, it's a really cool platform. I'd probably pay to use it. So I'm surprised they don't have a subscription based version already. But I guess that's probably my biggest hesitation at this point is, you know, they've been around, they went public. When did they IPO in 2013? Yeah. So despite the fact that they have been profitable quite a bit, they don't have, I don't know, they haven't had continuous profitable years. So it makes me question whether or not I would invest in it. Yeah, I checked their stock price on Friday when the market closed and it was just around $67. Yeah. I was kind of surprised it was so low. Well, 
Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess that is interesting that they've been that they've been so low for so long. I I don't know. I still haven't made up my mind as to whether or not I, I'm going to lean into this actual stock or not. It's it's not. I'm not quite there yet. I think I still need to. I still need to dig into it more. Yeah. Love the platform. Love what it's doing for the most part. Iffy on the stock as well. Iffy on the stock. Well, I feel like we have taken deep dives into all of these. Shall we? we Yeah. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) Should we take a break so that we can do a quick add it up? Let's do it. All right. All right, Megan, I am excited to play our game of buy, sell, hold, which we decided we're not going to gamify and you can do buy, sell, hold on any stock that you want rather than having to pick one for each. And I just want to remind you of our cool theme here, which is, you know, kind of that blockchain based technology centered ideology. And that's first and foremost, that we are looking at stocks that are both in cryptocurrency or in NFT land or any type of blockchain, or you could be, you know, like the Kathy Woods of the world that aren't necessarily creating the technology or designing it, but they are absolutely investing heavily in it. So I am super curious, Megan McShane, buy, sell, hold on Coinbase. This is difficult. This is difficult because for Kathy's company, it's an ETF. So I can kind of buy Coinbase through her ETF. I'm going to hold. I'm going to hold on Coinbase. Hold. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, moving on then. Kathy Woods. Most profitable ETF. A-R-K-K. Buy, sell, hold. Buy. Buy. You've convinced me. Okay. All right. All right. And last but not least, TWTR, a.k.a. Twitter. Buy, sell, hold. I'm going to buy it. You're going to buy it. Leaning into that future. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. All right. Flip it back to you. Coinbase, I am a hold on. I'm, that's that's definitely a watch. I'm watching what that performance looks like. I think it might not end up being Coinbase that I invest in. There might be something else down the road that when it IPOs, I will be. But certainly keeping track of what Coinbase is doing in order to understand the lay of the land for products that are similar to Coinbase. ARKK, I owned until I believe actually this week. I sold most of it. Oh, yeah. Scandal. <laughs> I have, we need to talk more about what's in my portfolio at some point, but yeah, I, I got rid of, I got rid of my ARKK this week. Open. I am openly sharing that I may have made a huge mistake, but I did sell my ARKK. And then Twitter. Twitter, I'm a hold on. I didn't mention this when we were chatting, but there was one other thing that I noticed within their 10K, and it was that they had a $2 billion share repurchase in Q4. And it may have been because they were purchasing another company. It could have been, you know, a multitude of reasons. Usually you see stock repurchases when the company needs some liquidity. 
and the fact that they also showed net losses in 2020. I don't know. I'm, I'm a watch on Twitter as well because I love, I obviously love the product. It's more a matter of, can they monetize it? Well, now I got to ask you before we go, but what's, what's the stock repurchase? What is that? What does that mean? Stock repurchase? It means that rather than having shares out on the markets, so rather than letting Megan McShane be able to purchase the stock, they purchased it back. So they'll have like set prices that they want to repurchase at, and then they'll have banks repurchasing that stock so they can hold it on their balance sheet inside of their capital rather than letting you as Megan McShane be able to purchase that share. And it does two things. It gives them some liquidity and it gives them a little bit more value intrinsically. And then it also potentially can elevate the price because there's less shares available to the public. And that's completely legal, right? hundred percent legal. Interesting. Interesting. Huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, you can buy some of my ARKK from me. Because you you sold yours, you're gonna have to buy it at a premium from me because I'm learning a lot about stocks. And yay, I'm so I excited! The value, yeah. Now do you understand why I was pumped to have this episode? I'm always interested why you're pumped, and then I always leave, <laughs> and I'm like, I have a lot of research to do myself. I've learned and grokked so much from today, so thank oh, you for that. Wonderful. I also love a thematic here, girly. Like I love the Coinbase. I love. Kathy Wood. I love how it works with Twitter. I want to learn more about that NFT. And maybe one day we can have our own NFT. Just a thought. Oh, we can create an NFT of girls just want to have phones. (laughs) (laughs) All right, my love. Should we call it? Yes. Always a pleasure. All right. Love you, boo. Love you. Bye. Thanks for joining us. Head on over to girlsjustwanna.com where you can subscribe to the show follow Megan and I on social, or even text us your important financial questions. And remember, there's no shame in asking anything. We'll see you next time on Girls Just Want to Have Funds.